This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent podcast about aviation careers. My name is Carl Valeri, and this evening we have a a special co-host, and that's Robert Geyer. Robert is actually on the road right now, transmitting from his hotel room, and uh, we have quite a few questions here. Again, uh, sorry for the the late uh, placement of the last two podcasts, but uh, I've been moving, and it's really exciting doing this move. Also, really a quick reminder for those that are looking for coaching. I know our coaching schedule's been getting really tight and full, and my schedule has also, so uh, please be patient. If you uh, sign up for coaching, Aviation Careers podcast.com slash coaching. Uh, We will get you in the schedule. If you don't see that in there, send us a a personal note. Sometimes I can do some coaching on the road, but I do a few red eyes and I fly at night. So sometimes it's difficult to get together on those schedules there. But anyway, let's move on to some of the questions. Hey, hey, Robert, uh, welcome uh, back to the show this evening. And uh, I know you've had a a pretty cool uh, trip, haven't you so far? Yeah, good evening, Carl. Uh, good to be back. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy trip, but it's been nice. So, uh, long San Antonio last night, and I'm in Raleigh now, so uh, it's been good. Yeah, I think you said you had a really cool trip, uh, just like myself. You got to stay at home or your old home and uh, went uh, surfing, I think you said. Yeah, it was actually kind of nice. Um, last Saturday, I had 20 hours in Tampa, so I uh, went my dad and my brother picked me up and we went out to the east coast and we went surfing for a little bit it's been the first time in about 10 years that the three of us have been able to go together so it was good yeah that's awesome one of the cool things about this job is actually getting out doing overnights and uh, and enjoying uh, the family friends and also the sites but to tell you what let's get started with the questions we are really behind on these questions uh and we're going to try to catch up as much as we can here we go with the first question here says good evening carl i'd like to first begin by saying how much your podcast has influenced me to pursuing my dreams and to becoming a commercial airline pilot. I'm currently a senior in high school and just received my introductory flight not too long ago on a Cessna 150. I look forward to attending a local university as I look to pursue my dreams. You know, I've always wanted to fly for JetBlue and was just curious about Cape Air JetBlue Gateway program. I received a broad overview, although looked to joining as it could be my best option for making it as a first officer at JetBlue. If you have any information on the program, I'd love to hear about it. Thanks so much again. Well, I tell you what, it's uh, most of the information that I get is what you get online. And uh, there's uh, the program is interesting, just like many of the other gateway programs that they have out there. And uh, also the flow through type agreements they have. It's uh, it's really interesting. Ab initio is becoming a, something uh, that's more popular here in the United States. And that's basically what this is and uh, really the best place to go when any of these airlines that are doing this because not just JetBlue uh, is it's out there on the internet so go check it out Uh, I know that he's interested in this one airline also keep your mind open to all the other airlines that possibly have this too Uh, so also the other cool thing is Go to those events uh, where airlines show up and have these ab initios, just like with JetBlue, and and find out you know what what's happening with those programs. Get out there and and talk to the recruiters and and ask them the questions. And uh, you know it's really easy to find the folks uh, that are there. They're right on the website and they're more than happy to talk to you. The cool thing about these programs, it may not be the actual path you take, but the real neat thing is that you're going to get 
mentorship. And mentorship is incredibly important. And that's why we started doing the, the coaching here. So uh, that would be my suggestion there. Uh, if you can't find the emails, contacts, uh, we have contacts at all the different airlines that have these type of programs, especially at JetBlue. So just let us know. Anyway, moving on, I know uh, Robert had listened uh, to a podcast a while ago, and we were going to read his response, but we actually have Robert here. It was uh, We had a Marine listener who was discussing the possibility, I remember, about uh, you know signing a, a year-long contract. Actually, Robert, you actually remember the question more. So why don't you actually kind of review a little bit about what the question was and also what your, your suggestion to this gentleman was. Yeah, so um, Carl, I believe the question uh, was in reference, like you were saying, to signing a year-long contract, and uh, I had a couple thoughts on it. Um, one, uh, the time from the gentleman, and I forget the specifics, uh, were he had oh we had yeah military time, and he had two thousand plus hours, so he had pretty good time from the military, and um, y- before getting locked in a in a year contract, uh, my my suggestion and one one when the response that I wrote was uh, make sure or, or at least look at the regionals. Uh, put your apps in everywhere first, uh, everywhere you want to be, um, the major airlines, uh, regional airlines, and uh, see what happens. But most likely, more than likely, you're probably going to get a call from a regional first, and uh, the benefit to putting your apps in with the major airlines that you see is. One, starting an application process and having that app in there and updating constantly shows a lot of interest, and I believe that helps with a lot of the different majors uh, with the application process as far as scoring points on your app and hopefully getting uh, getting a look at first. But with the regionals, um, most of the my experience, especially come from ExpressJet being a recruiter, I interviewed quite a bit of uh, military candidates, and we hired quite a bit of military candidates, and also from uh, doing the Czech airman work as well. A lot of the uh, candidates that I had uh, flown OE, OE trips with, they were here for a little bit, and uh, they got that recency experience, and they got a little bit of that 121 time under their belt. And part one, for the listeners who don't know, the part 121 time would be the, the airline environment, uh, which looks good on an airline application, obviously. So they would get that time out under their belt, and then they would uh, – be real short stay at the regional. From what I saw, there's so many candidates that I saw, uh, or so many pods that I saw that uh, would would be there um, from six months to a year and a half, and they'd be gone. So, um, I I guess my my thought would be, it might not be good to lock yourself into a year contract um, at a particular place when you could get the recency experience that you need to then move on. Uh, to to a major because I've seen that quite a bit with students um, and a lot of the people who I'd interview and a lot of people that I work with would be there and they'd be gone and I've seen that um, <laughs> the the major I'm at uh, one of the one of the um, pilots that I'm thinking of I did his OE uh, probably well now it's been a little over a year and a half ago at the time it was less than a year uh, and from me meeting him again at the airline I'm at now. Uh, where he was a new hire, and we were both pretty much new hires around the same time. So he was only at ExpressJet for a very short amount of time. So those are kind of my thoughts on it uh, and, and what I, I wrote in my response. Um, hopefully I explained that well. Yeah, I think that's important is uh, don't get yourself locked in, especially uh, with his situation there. You know, definitely don't don't get yourself locked in there to the to the contract for 12 months. Thanks for that, Robert. That was a really, really good uh, response there. And uh, – 
Anyway, let's see. Uh, Robert, let's talk and take another one here. It's uh, This is cool because it kind of correlates with that question, but also has been the next question is really important for those military folks. And we get this question a lot, so I really want to kind of dig into this one. The subject is, what if I just barely meet the minimums? He listens. He says, I'm a new listener and really enjoy the podcast so far. If you address this question before, I'll search past episodes rather than taking your valuable time. Uh, by the way, it's always good to re-ask questions because sometimes we answer those questions three years ago. It's good to come back to these. He continues, when I leave the military in a couple of years, I will have 2,000 plus hours. Nearly 900 of those are in H60 hours. The rest are 80 uh, T-34 hours and the remainder are T-6 hours. I have my commercial and instrument civilian ratings and will be soon working on the multi-engine add-on. I also plan to use my remaining GI Bill to get my ATP, which is a great idea. Legacy career sites, Delta United American, list requirements at an ATP and 1,000 turbine hours and 50 multi-engine hours. Assuming the T6 turboprop will suffice for turbine time, is, is that a safe assumption? Yes, it is. I will have all those boxes checked. That said, is an offer from a major carrier a reasonable possibility or a long shot due to any number of reasons? Helo time, no 121 time, no 135 time, turboprop time. I appreciate any time you're able to give this a question and answer. So here's the deal. You don't have a lot of time, but you're getting pretty close. Uh, 2,000 hours isn't much, but, you know, three, 4,000 hours were, gosh, you never know. When when they're looking for candidates, it could drop to 2,000 hours, it could drop to three. So first of all, just like Robert said, have your application in because you never know when they change the minimums. Uh, now, with that said, you may be making a stop at the regionals first to get your hours. And if you're at a low time, just like we talked before, one of the great ways to, to build some of that time and build the 121 time, the 135 time, is go work for a regional and get some of that turbine time. The turboprop time is good, turbine time, turbine time, turbine time, but also 121 time looks really good on your resume. Your stop is going to be short. You know, I had somebody in the jump seat. He was flying F-18s, and he was just finishing IOE, initial operating experience, with the regional airline during ioe during this training period he was given an offer at delta airlines imagine that during ioe so they saw that he had 121 time boom he was in and he's off to the majors most people are making stops uh, along the way at the regionals but another thing i want to i want to kind of focus on especially for those of you that are military that have these type of hours 2000 hours looks kind of small but at some of these other discount, low-cost carriers, they may wind up taking you. Not all of them, but there are some out there that are taking people with this type of hours. You're going to wind up flying, say, a 737 or an Airbus, possibly, with that few hours. There have been instances uh, at certain airlines, even the one that I work for, where they'll bring in people with 2,500 hours with special circumstances. It used to be, gosh, 8,000 hours, 6,000 hours. Now we're seeing... The minimums dropped to 3,000 hours at places. It's absolutely phenomenal what's been happening. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's a really important point to make here. Just barely meet the minimums. Get out there. Go work for a, a regional. I think that's a, it's a great idea to move on. You'll move on quickly. That's for sure. Uh, Robert, how, is there anything else you want to add to that one? Yeah, um, two, two things. Uh, one, uh, I, I agree with you, um, everything you said. And there, I've seen multiple examples of people who – have made it um, 
who have gotten calls in OE. Uh, it, it, it happens more often than you would think. But second, too, uh, I think if, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he mentioned that he's going to do his ATP uh, with the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he, if he wants to save his GI Bill, possibly, I don't know his situation or what airlines he'd be targeting, but there are a couple airlines out there that if you apply and meet the minimums for ATP and you get hired, they'll actually uh, pay for your ATP and put you through ATP. So just a thought uh, that I that I throw out there that there is those kind of options out there. You know, another thing that I've seen people do uh, along with that is the 737 type. A lot of people like to use the GI Bill for because uh, it looks better on applications at certain airlines to have the 737 type, uh, especially at places, I guess, like Southwest. So there's uh, one of the reasons people do that. But, yes, you can save that GI Bill, save the money for something else, uh, do some training otherwise. Great, great point uh, that you made there, Robert. Uh, moving on to the next question, uh, talking about training on the weekends versus training full-time and uh, like 141 and 61 wants to know the difference so first of all let's, let's explain the difference 61 versus 141 these are the different uh, parts uh, the code of federal regulations under which these schools operate 61 is uh, just the general rules as far as training are concerned uh, 141 is specific to actual flight schools that have been certified underneath this part and allow them to actually train people in a shorter amount of time but have very strict requirements and those requirements are such as a syllabus and have to be done in a certain time etc the they're both good and bad it depends on your situation uh if you're the type of person that wants to jump in and do the training uh from soup to nuts you know as i say zero to hero 141 might work but i'll tell you what i use a 141 syllabus and I do it under Part 61 because sometimes you're constrained under 141 where if you're somebody that's doing it part-time or you have to take breaks in your training, the 141, which is very strict in its training and its syllabus, might be a little bit tougher. Plus, dovetailing yourself into one of those schedules sometimes can be a little bit difficult. Not bad. I mean, I've done it before. It's not too, too bad. Uh, so your differences there are you're gonna. it's more flight time under, one, under 61 than 141. But I've actually seen people finish earlier under 61 because of the certain requirements of 141. So it's uh, it all depends on you. If you can do it straight, you know, it's a great idea to do 141. If not, if you're looking at doing it on the weekends, like you talked about, the possibility of doing full-time or, or doing a weekend type of flying, that's uh, there's some differences there. Uh, it might take you a little bit longer doing it, or will take you longer just doing it on the weekends, that's for sure, because it's only two days of the week. Um, I'm a big fan of training during the week, and uh, you can get a lot done. Also, availability of aircraft is usually a little bit better. You don't have all the people, especially if you're at a smaller school, uh, renting the airplanes on the weekend. Also, another question you asked is, how long is the ride to get paid to fly? Uh, the ride to get paid, I'm not going to say paid to fly, but I'll, I'll adjust that. You can go out, I was just talking to someone yesterday, get your your ground instructor certificate, your advanced ground instructor certificate, and you can start teaching right away. So depending on how well you study, within weeks, you could actually be getting paid to instruct, okay? Not flight instructing, but paid to instruct. Flying, flight instructing. I've seen people start off and get the commercial within six months. It can happen. Uh, I usually tell people, give yourself six months to a year full-time, and you will definitely be getting paid to fly. As far as being paid to fly at the airlines, it could, eh, maybe a couple of years, and you're into the airlines. Uh, but a uh, big difference, uh, just training on the weekends and then Monday through Friday. I used to, I would actually, one of the things I did is I needed 
some time off. So I would only do five days a week of flying. You can easily do seven days a week. When you're flight instructing, another point I want to make right now, and, and, and Robert can back me up on this, they are hurting so bad for flight instructors right now that you will be flying like crazy. Um, it is easy to get 1,000 hours in a year right now uh, flying for some of these flight schools, uh, depending on the region, of course, and depending how busy the flight school is. But uh, I think that's really important. I don't want to go into all the details of 61 versus 41, but just remember there's a lot of requirements in 41 and that you have to comply with. Uh, you can use the same syllabus under 61, but you have a lot more flexibility. I don't know. Um, Robert, did you actually do much of your training 141 or 61? Yeah, I did a little bit 141. Um, when I, I went to FIT for two years. So, uh, yeah, I, I did a commercial and multi-commercial. Um, so that was all 141. But I was kind of partial to 61, to be honest with you. I like the like you're saying, the flexibility. Um, I thought from... Again, my situation is a little bit different, though, where I wasn't in a real time crunch to get all my ratings done. And when I started flying, I was, you know, younger than I I was too young to solo. So I came from that kind of deal where I wasn't real pressure to knock everything out fast. But like you were saying, with 61, you can knock stuff out fast because I remember, you know, and I'm sure you you, some names will probably come to mind, Carl, people, you know, too, that uh, from our old flight school where. You would go like go to flight instructor's board and be blocked out for the whole day just working with one student who is trying to get through as quickly as possible. So for sure. it's it's kind of if you have an instructor who's available to do it, you can knock it out really fast. But I I think the thing I liked about the one uh, the sixty one was just uh, for me it is a little better pace uh, for where I was at and in, in my training and my training needs, and I, I was able to have a little bit more fun with it. Where like you're saying one forty one, it's not bad. It's just it's definitely more structured. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Great. Thanks for that input. Uh, let's uh, And thanks again for that question. That was awesome. Uh, the next one we're going to go on to is uh, something I'm going to summarize. It's a little bit personal, so I'm going to tell you this. Uh, it's somebody who wrote in and is on medication uh, for anxiety and wants to know if I think that the FA will give them a fair observation and not qual- disqualify them uh, because of the anxiety disorder category. So, uh Let's take a look at that. Uh, one of the things, this happens at the school that I, I'm at in the college and lots of places. People come in and ask this question. Uh, you need to actually ask an AME, and I think it's important to go into the AME and say, listen, I want a consultation, and I want to talk to you, the aviation medical examiner, sorry, AME, aviation medical examiner, and ask them, I need a consultation on this. Is this going to disqualify me from getting my class one medical class one medical so if you want your first class medical can i get this and how am i going to go about getting this medical if i'm on this and uh you know if i need to is there any type of protocols i have to go through with medicine there's a lot of people on a lot of different medicines and you can actually go through a, a different protocols and and actually be able to fly but you have to do it properly you have to do it the FAA way i'll give you a good example i have a friend who just came back to work he was out for 27 months four five yeah 27 months with an, a condition that happened due to the fact that the person who actually treated him was a regular physician and didn't consult the FA in the way to do this and it wasn't done the FA way and they uh, it took a while for him to get his medical back so what I'm trying to tell you anybody who's got a medical disorder 
The people, the AMEs are wonderful people. They want to help you, and they want you to fly. So you need to go to them. And if you know guys that are and gals that are airline pilots, ask them who they go to. Because and, and the airline pilots out there know who the best examiners are because they've worked with all these different issues. Because I tell you what, when you start getting up in the ages of 50, 60, late 40s, they're gonna de- you're gonna deal with something. There's gonna be you're gonna deal with an airline pilot that has some kind of a medical issue. So that'd be my suggestion: is get out there, get a consultation, and ask them about this, and ask them how they're gonna you're gonna be able to go about it. The best thing I can do is uh, talk to your physician. So we'll we'll leave it at that. Uh, but thanks again for that question. Really good stuff. Anyway, moving on to the next question says, Hi, Aviation Careers team. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and I've been enjoying them heavily. A bit of background on myself. I started flying when I was 11 and sold on my 16th birthday. I uh, Congratulations. That's too cool. I hope to get my private pilot in 20 days on my 17th birthday. I've taken a slightly lesser known route to training. A few years into my training, I found out the Civil Air Patrol, an instructor threw them. I've since been doing my flight instruction for fairly cheap comparatively. If you'd like, I'd be more than happy to talk about my experiences with you and how I've gotten to where I am now. Love to hear it. I think that is really cool uh, to go through the Civil Air Patrol. Uh, That's another route as far as using the instructors there. Sometimes it works out for people. It depends on where you are. But uh, go, C-A-P, I think it is, uh, dot gov or org and i'm going to mess that up and people are going to correct me so i'm going to find it out before the end of the podcast and uh and we'll have that link to the website about the civil air patrol i was in the civil air patrol as a a public affairs officer for a little while i'm a big supporter of the civil air patrol i haven't been involved locally because i'm doing so many podcasts i haven't been able to get involved but uh and i do the coaching and the flight team so it's just so many things i can do but i would love to get involved in another chapter now that we're moving uh to lakeland i might be uh moving into a chapter there but great organization and uh robert did you ever have any experience with the cap have you uh done anything with them or, or know anybody who has um well, I know that there was a, a CAP wing out. Uh, I don't know if wing's the right word for it, but uh, out at McDill. And I, I did check it out once. And I can't remember the exact reason, but for whatever reason, I never ended up getting involved in it. I think I was kind of busy with doing the other stuff. And But, uh, yeah, so I, I, that's about the extent of my knowledge with it. I know some people who did it, though, and uh, they seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, it's great. And and the part about the flight instructing, I think that's really important. And I kind of feel embarrassed because I, I usually have Major General Joe Vasquez on. He's a CAP National Com- Commander. I've interviewed him a few times. And I, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. It's GoCivilAirPatrol.com. GoCivilAirPatrol.com is where you can find information about it and also the different benefits. It also looks good on a resume to be in the cadet program. And it's it's an awesome organization. I've uh, been really impressed by Civil Air Patrol and by what they do, especially volunteering at places like Sun and Fun, where they're the ones that actually help park cars, planes, things like that, and uh, really neat stuff. So good, good organization. Can't say enough about it. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to uh, – let's take a look here at the next question here. And uh, says here that uh, I found your podcast a month or so ago, and I'm totally addicted. I've listened to almost every episode, only skipping the ones that are clearly not pertinent to my situation. 
aren't, which aren't many. And I get really excited every time I get notified that a new episode has been posted. You know, here's my story. I'm 46 and I've been working in the field of public education for 20 years now. Currently, I'm an assistant principal in high school. Like many others whose stories you've told, it has always been my dream to be a pilot and fly airplanes. However, for my whole life, I've never believed it could ever be a reality, mostly because it's always been way out of my financial reach. As I was finishing high school, I briefly looked into what it would take to become a military pilot and was told I would need 20-20 uncorrected vision to qualify. Given all these circumstances, I pretty much gave up on my dream ever becoming a reality. While my career in education has been successful, I've never really felt any sense of fulfillment in it. Throughout the years, I would hear airplanes flying overhead and immediately gaze up into the sky to watch every time, wishing it could be me up there taking in the spectacular view and experiencing the thrill of being at the controls of an awesome flying machine. Then that voice in my head would pipe up to remind me that flying just isn't in the cards for me. In the last few years, I finally began to realize that it's burning desire to fly was not going to go away. I had to find a way to make it happen, even if I could only afford one lesson a month. So about a year ago, I decided to go to a local flight school and schedule a discovery flight. I was delighted to find out that there happened to be a CFI and a Cessna 152 available right at that moment, and I could go up immediately. I could barely contain my excitement. As you might imagine, it was a thrill of a lifetime for me, and there was definitely no turning back from that point. I became completely obsessed with all things aviation and took flight lessons as often as my scraped-together money would allow. My thought at that point was flying would just be a really awesome hobby for me, and then I had an earth-shattering conversation with my CFI. He was a year older than me, and he began to tell me how he was in the process of changing careers, working towards becoming an airline pilot. I said, don't take this the wrong way, but aren't you a little too old to become an airline pilot? He said, heavens no, he said, and proceeded to fill me in on all the details surrounding the limited number of qualified pilots issue facing the airlines. My whole world changed dramatically that day. All of a sudden, I felt like I just might be possible for me to capitalize on an opportunity I never in a million years thought I would come my way. I began spending hours a day researching everything I could find about the current state of aviation, and I started pursuing my training with a whole lot more intensity. Well, last November, I received my private pilot certificate, and I'm now getting close to finishing my instrument rating. My goal is to get my commercial and CFI certificates by this summer and start flight instructing to build hours. I actually think I would love to be a career flight instructor, but I don't see any way to support my family on $15 an hour. I hope it's not just $15 an hour, but anyway. Uh, at the end of this process, I would be thrilled to have just about any job as a pilot, whether it be corporate, airline, charter, private, or otherwise. I plan on turning over every possible stone during the CFI phase to try to make enough money to pay the bills. I have a wife and a young child, and I'm sole breadwinner of the household. In my current job, I make approximately $72,000 a year. So my first question is this. What kind of freelance flying jobs can I look for to supplement my CFI income? I know there are some opportunities out there for a new commercial pilot with around 300 hours. I just don't know where to start looking. I'm trying my best to prepare for what I jokingly call the poverty phase of my career change, but honestly, this is the part that has me most concerned. 
I considered the possibility of becoming my current job or keeping my current job until I build enough hours, but I'm afraid it would take way too long. Any suggestions you have on how to make money on the side while flight instruction or in flight instructing would be greatly appreciated. So let's let's take a look at that question first. Uh, things that you can do, flight instructing actually as a side job can be terrific. And I think it's really, really a great idea. Um, supplementing your income as a CFI, it's kind of interesting you said 15 bucks an hour. I don't, it seems like that's a little low pay-wise. Uh, I know that I'm able to charge a lot more than that, but uh, on a freelance basis on the side, uh, you should be able to get quite a bit more than that if you are doing some freelance work. But if you're flying through a flight school because uh, you're just building hours, sometimes they will only give you that amount. But uh, you should be able to make about double that too. Uh, I don't know, Robert, if you've had that that experience, but I think that uh, that's one of the things that you can look at. And also the possibility of banner towing, that's another great way to make extra money. So, so Robert, do those numbers, they sound a little bit low, don't they, T, as far as the flight instruction pay? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, no, when I was flight instructing, I was a little over twenty dollars an hour, and that was back in you know from the time frame of two thousand three to two thousand five. So yeah, a little bit. I, I would think, especially with the shortage and adjusting for inflation a little bit, it might be a little bit higher. But it's been a while since I've been that route, but that does seem a little low. Yeah, it is. So it it's something that you can do. There's there's other ways to do flight instructing. There's also uh, or money as far as your commercial, and that's taking photographs. Uh, remember, we talked about that. You can still supplement using the photography. I know there's drones out there, but there's certain things that drones can't do. Uh, the other thing you can do is find people that are trying to fly to build hours, uh, and they just want to go up in the airplane, and they say they're older. Get involved in a flying club. That's another great way. You may not make much money, but you'll build some time. Uh, but uh, but really, the, the best way in your situation, especially doing it part-time, is, is a great idea to to actually get out there and, and do the flight instructing uh, and see if you can get a better uh, rate than that. That's uh, something else. Uh, we didn't really look at exactly uh, the town. I don't think we talked about it too much, but there are. if you're in a bigger populace, you should be able to do a little bit better there. Uh, and also possibly once the commercial's there, just go ahead and uh, jump in flying somebody's single-engine aircraft for them or, or a multi-engine aircraft once you get your multi there. Uh, so I hope that helps out a little bit. Anyway, his second question has to do with qualifications. If I were to pursue a corporate or airline career in the future, how do you think my age, life experience, education, and other qualifications would be viewed by employers? I know the limited number of qualified pilots situation makes it easier for me, particularly if I get 1,500 hours and start applying for regional jobs. But how do they really view someone who's 47 and just getting started in aviation. I'll tell you what, and I know Robert can back me, back me up on this one. It is, uh, it's not really frowned upon anymore. I mean, I know it used to be, hey, you have to be 30 years old or else you're not going to go anywhere. But there are so many people doing this. I'm actually working with students now at the college that uh, are five and even 10 years older than you are getting into uh, the airline positions. They're hopefully working towards the possibility of either a management or something in the training department. But, you know, Robert, when you did your recruiting, you saw people that were 47 years old, I'm sure, and even older. Yeah, uh, 47 was on the young side, actually, uh, to be <laughs> quite honest with you. <laughs> and uh, no, uh, 47, I mean, that that's, I, I don't, Right now, with our environment, that's really not an issue. Um, we we had candidates in the '60s, to be quite honest with you, mm-hmm. um, and that's that was pretty normal. Forty-seven is uh, not limiting at all. 
And for the airlines, you can certainly get quite a few years out of the airlines. Uh, re- regionals, to be quite honest with you, you know, as long as you keep your record fairly clean and, um, you know, you you don't bend a lot of metal or have felonies on your records. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of where we're at now with the regionals now. I mean, it's it's the uh, they're definitely hiring and they're definitely hiring a lot. And uh, if you're qualified and you meet the qualifications, you're going to get hired. So, um that's that's where we are with the regionals and majors. Uh, if you want to move on with a major, I've we had a couple of guys in my class who were mid fifties, and that, of course they were retired military, uh, so they had a retired military background. Quite distinguished. Uh, some of them are quite distinguished military backgrounds too. Um, but uh, yeah, mid fifties. I mean, we they're they're hiring guys mid fifties all the time, and uh, then you also have your other options too. Uh, I know we mentioned not you know, leaving any rock unturned, but you have corporate, you could go forever in corporate. Uh, there's no mandatory age retirement. Uh, so you have those options. There's a lot of good corporate equipment to fly. Um, you know, uh, net jets. I know there's a lot of older people who retired out of the airlines that are working for net jets, if I'm not mistaken, or just flying different corporate gigs. Uh, I, I fly with guys all the time that are getting ready to retire and they're going, well, I can't fly for the airlines anymore, but I know this guy who, you know, flies a, he has a King Air and he needs a pilot, so they might go do something like that. So um, the the forty seven, I just to be to be quite honest, I don't even see that as an obstacle. I don't see that as a as any kind of hindrance of, of moving forward with your you know pursuing that dream. Um, not not even to me right now that and especially in the environment we're in, that's not even a question. It's I don't even see it as an issue. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for that perspective. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people moving into this career at that, that age. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people go into corporate after a long career at an airline, too. And they just want to keep flying. They do 135 uh, charter operations, uh, 135 scheduled operations. You see airlines doing that again, where you can fly for a regional airline doing turboprop flying, etc., and uh, or propeller flying, and you're still able to fly. So so don't let that hinder you. You can have a long career after 47 years old if you want to continue flying. Uh, anyway, he continues. He said, uh, uh, Robert, you want to add something to that? Well, and, and not only just a long career, um, you can get a long career that is a good paying job that will support you know his family too i mean you're gonna have to suffer like you're saying for the first couple of years and, and that, it sounds like he's well aware of that but he, he will be able to land a job uh that is uh that i think will will meet the needs of him and his family so yeah absolutely cool cool thanks um Anyway, he continues, says, also, I've heard you and your co-host mention multiple times that a four-year degree is um, almost a necessity to work for a major airline. Would they consider my master's degree in education valuable, or would it need to be an aviation degree? It doesn't matter as long as it's a degree. As long as you have your bachelor's, that's what matters. Uh, it, as a matter of fact, it's kind of cool uh, to have other skills besides that. Uh, so, so don't let that hold you back. Also, he continues, you all have mentioned employers desire to hire someone who has great skills in customer service, problem solving, decision making, especially under pressure and judgment. As a high school administrator, I have definitely become an expert in all those areas. Do you feel that employers will view all those experiences as a valuable asset? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think that's terrific. I mean, we hire a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, and it gives us something to talk about in the interview. I mean, we how many times, uh, Robert, have you heard from somebody who's in aviation? Many times, but it's really cool, isn't it, when you get somebody who comes in and has a background in a, a, an education or something else. It's really, really neat. 
Absolutely. It makes them, you know, it gives you something to talk about and, uh, especially having a master's in education or in education. I mean, that's great. You, master points give you extra or master's degree, give you extra points on your airline app. Just saying. So yeah, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be in aviation at all, you know? So yeah, I, I think that's, that would be more than enough. Uh, perfectly fine. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, it's really great to talk to people who have their masters. Also, another thing to think about, you can uh, teach at the collegiate level. Uh, and if you get into aviation and teach the higher level courses once you get your master's, and especially doctorate too. So anyway, he continues, I really appreciate everything you all do, and I thoroughly enjoy listening to your podcasts. It's really great to get an airline perspective from Carl, a corporate perspective from Tom, and a midlife career change perspective from Paul. In fact, I like Paul's story has been the most inspiring to me, as it seems to parallel my own life pretty closely. And I don't want to leave out Eric. I'm getting my training through a Part 61 school, so I'm not exactly in Eric's world, but I do really enjoy the comic relief. Uh, In closing, I'd like to share with you a brilliant idea I had. I was listening to the podcast one day, and I think I should become your guinea pig or poster child for Aviation Careers Podcast. I can be a recurring guest of the show where you can check in every so often on my progress through this career change. Maybe initially I can tell the story I've written here, and then in a few months I can come back and talk on the show how I'm eating nothing but ramen noodles while teaching flight lessons. Sometime later, my story will develop as I start applying for pilot jobs. I can talk like Paul and tell all the stories about how I navigated my way to an awesome aviation career. I like to be a reality show. I can just imagine all the emails you get by, when is, when is Vice Principal coming back on the show? We want to know what's going on with him. Thanks again for your inspiration and all you provide for me. And we'll continue to provide in the future. Have a great day. Well, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love that. I'd love to have you on the show time and show sometime and talk about that. One of the things we like to do is have people on the show and talk about their experiences and exactly what you're doing and real people. Like I said, this is transparent. It's people like you that help this podcast and help others, and that's what we're trying to do. You know, they're not alone out there. And by the way, the midlife career change, I was kind of part of that too, but I didn't have the children part of it. I started this career in my 30s and absolutely absolutely enjoy it so uh been been loving it since and you know when i hit my 50s uh i still feel like a little kid when i go flying around and hopefully i'll be the same when i hit my 60s so it's a cool job uh i gave a, a talk last night about my career and how much i love it and the fact that i get to go and to work and have fun sit on the beach and enjoy life you know that's what i like to do i like to fly to these caribbean destinations and hang out I get to see the sunset and the sunrise from a really unique perspective and hang out with people that have some really unique stories, just like yourself, people that have backgrounds in music, teaching, people that are engineers, come from all walks of life. And that's what's really cool about uh, this aviation career. Well, guys, that's all the time we have for the questions. We're going to start putting more out with, uh, you know, we have tons of questions to get to. This is only about half of the ones we have or less for this evening, but, uh, you know, before I go, uh, real quick thanks to Robert. Robert, before uh, we go, I think one of the things I wanted to stress is is the fact that you know we all we all take these different paths, and a lot of times we feel that you know our our path is unique, but there's so many other people that have similar paths, just like this vice principal, and and you know whatever you're doing, your uniqueness is something the airlines are looking for when they're looking at an interview. Just like he said about his master's in education. Robert, you just you just said it right there. He, uh, you know, that's great. It adds points, and I'm sure that's something 
he didn't realize. So, Robert, I, I think that's that's something that that's important, don't you? Is to to realize no matter what it is or who you are, you're unique, and that's what's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know this job is so interesting in the fact that, and you touched on this, that you you get to talk to people who you're sitting next to, and you'll be flying with them for three four days. And they have some really cool background, and you're, and you're going, man, I didn't know you did that. Tell me about that, you know. And then, and then you start uh, asking them all about their background, and it gives you something to talk about, and it's cool because you get to you get to know people, you get kind of get to get a glimpse into a different life that you wouldn't, in other words, have known about. And it's from being stuck up with them for hours up in the flight deck and going, oh, I didn't know you did that. That's really cool. So yeah, I mean that that is one thing that makes this job really, really kind of cool and really kind of interesting. And the fact that you get to throw, fly with so many people with so many different backgrounds and similar background, it, you know, it, it's it's a unique it's a unique job that we get to do that. You know, Robert, I was trying to prompt you to tell us a, a quick story before we close here about somebody you got to meet on your flight who did some high-altitude gliding that had, was a kind of an interesting career. So before we close, I, I thought that would be an awesome story to tell people because it, it just shows you the diverse backgrounds of people. Yeah, it was. So, oh man, I wonder. I wonder if this will help you. Don't don't mention this, names. Uh. I won't mention names. I won't yeah. mention names. But uh, he, my buddy, uh, had texted me, and he goes, "Hey, ask your captain about his high altitude, high speed gliding." So I'm going, "Okay." Well, I knew the guy was from the Air Force, and I'm going, "There's got to be some kind of crazy story to this." So I said, "All right." So I get back in the airplane and I say, "Hey, you know, someone told me to ask you about this." I'm I almost hesitate to ask because I'm almost scared what, what kind of story this is going to bring up. And he, he just chuckled. Mind you, I've been flying with this guy for three days, right? And he just chuckled and goes, well, it's about the last aircraft I flew. Now, I know he told me all kinds of stories about all these other airplanes he flew and, you know, watching guys eject and all this kind of stuff. And he had some cool stories, but he didn't mention this one. And he goes, and I go, well, what aircraft did you fly? And he goes, Oh, the, the shuttle orbiter. I kind of looked at him, and I'm sure my face probably looked just like totally dumb. <laughs> I'm going, you mean like the the space shuttle? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. I go, that's crazy. I didn't. I was like, so then I'm like, I'm sorry, man. You probably get this all the time, and I, I got a totally nerd out here. I got so many questions to ask you. So then I just proceeded to bombard him with questions. But yeah. <laughs> That's that's exactly what I'm talking about. The kind of interesting people who you're going, man, that, you could sit there and listen to this guy's story for days on end, and you get the opportunity because you're stuck in a little confined space with them. So, um, yeah, that that is what makes this job super cool. So, yeah, there you go. That's that's an awesome story. Thanks for sharing that. That uh, kind of is a great way to the end of the podcast. Uh, you know, one of the things that I always tell people in their life in general and uh, in their careers, you know, we look at all these questions and one of the most important things is for people to take some kind of action, do something, do something now, take one small step to move forward with your career. Whether it's trying to go into CFI position, whether it's trying to figure out if you go 141, part 61, etc. But take that step today. Do something now. After we stop this podcast, stop your car, stop what you're doing, write it down, make a note to yourself that you need to call somebody, you need to put, you know, gocivilairpatrol.com and, and find out more about that organization. But do something today. Do something now to move forward in your life and your career. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. <laughs>
You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.